Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. You might be shocked that there's not a curtain behind me because I came to school today. And so we're doing it back in the normal place. And I was no noticing that it was so bright because they have just tons of windows here. So it's really bright. I'm very thankful. It's nice to be back in this space. It's always cold here, so I might have to put my jacket on. But I'm really excited to have my friend Eric Corum here. And Eric is uh, a new friend, but we've really connected. And um, I love what he's doing. When he told me what he was doing, I was like, oh, my goodness. This is stuff that people need to know about. And as our last week of what we celebrate at Design Recharge as Mental Health Month, I thought this was a great way to kind of close it out. Because again, we've talked uh, with Mario, who you're also friends with. We've yeah. talked with Costas. We've talked with Ash. And today we're talking to you. And I'm really excited about what you're going to tell us about how we can, because really you caught it stress and how to thrive. And yes. boy, have I felt stressed. But you <laughs> give us give us a little bit of your background because you've had a kind of um, different career path. All right. Well, I hope my deck design lives up to the community that I'm talking with today, but I'm really excited to be here. So yeah, my background's a little bit different. Um, I've spent the past 16 years working in collegiate and professional sport as a high performance director, uh, sports science coordinator, and uh, I've helped pioneer what's called athlete tracking technology in America. So like these athletes now you may see on TV, like in the Super Bowl coming up, have you ever seen them running around like, oh, so-and-so ran this fast? Like I brought that stuff to the United States about 10 years ago. And um, my doctoral work was in how sleep impacts the brain's ability to adapt to stress. So spent a lot of time helping elite athletes learn how to thrive under pressure one of the athletes I worked with for a very long time, you see over on the right, her name is Veronica Campbell-Brown. She's an eight-time Olympic medalist, three-time Olympic gold medalist, one of two women in the history of the Olympics to win the gold medal in the 200 meters twice. And I'm helping her right now try to reach her fifth Olympics, nearing 40 years old. She's, a, she's from Jamaica. I've had a chance to work with some amazing people, um, been at some awesome organizations uh, with some great teams, and I got to serve on Nike's Performance Council for five years, which really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things, helped them design footwear for Nike football. And then probably the greatest experience of my life, uh, in 2019, I was selected as a presidential leadership scholar by the presidential centers of George H. Bush, George W. Bush, President Clinton, and LBJ Foundation. And for six, seven months, I was actually trained by the former presidents themselves and their administrations on how to lead, how to develop an idea uh, with a very, very diverse group of people. And I think one of the intentions of the PLS group is to bring civility back to the political discussion. So I think everybody would really like that. So yeah, that's a little background on me. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn if I don't say that the past year has been very stressful. Uh, we're experiencing literally an unprecedented level of stress globally. And a recent survey of about 2000 Americans found that 60% of people can't imagine being more stressed. Six, this was like back in no, November, right before the election, 67% at the time said they couldn't, like, they couldn't wait for the year to be over with. 95% of people said that stress is impacting their health in a negative way. 44% reported trouble sleeping, 44% said they have an inability to focus, 
And about 40% of people said they're having a, a problem controlling their weight. And right now people are stressed about being stressed. It's mm -hmm. called meta-stress. And I'm here to tell you today that what you're feeling is absolutely normal and no one is immune to it. And so over the next 20 minutes, I want to do three things. One, I want to demystify stress. Number two, I want to give you some tools to regulate stress in the moment. Okay. And then three, I want to teach you how you can lean into stress to change your brain so that you can like learn a new skill, change your behavior or adopt a new habit. Yep. So those are the three things I'm going to do. Awesome. So what is stress? You know, stress is often described as a feeling or an experience that elicits these feelings of anxiety, frustration, and a really a threat to your security. And it pushes you beyond your ability to, to successfully cope. So you're like, you're outside of your ability to really manage the situation. And stress can come from a lot of different things. It can come in a good way and a bad way. It could come from finances. Like if you're not doing well financially, that's probably a stress. Um, it can come from relationships. It can come from money. It can come from exercise and politics. I mean, it can like right now, stress is abounding in a lot of different ways, even though in a lot of ways we're not with each other, you know, the stress is just compounding. But the best in the world experience stress. And this is Chris Hoy. He's a six-time Olympic gold medalist and the most decorated Olympic cyclist of all time. What a cool looking outfit he's wearing right there. But when he, now this is like the most decorated Olympic cyclist of all time, but when he talked about what it was like to race in Olympic finals, he said, it felt like I was going to the gallows. Like he was literally about to be executed. Now, this wasn't just any cyclist. Like I said, this is like the best ever. And there's a myth that champions never experience uncomfortable thoughts or feelings. Uh, if the outcome of a future event is uncertain, you should expect to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Think about COVID right now. Like the outcome of this, when am I going to get a shot? Should I get a shot? Is there a new strain coming? Like there's just a lot of uncertainty. But the way you feel does not have to determine how you perform. And we're going to come back to that later. The key is you must be open to these unpleasant sensations. And if you're open to it, then emotion won't get in the way when you need to be your best. So here's the key. Your brain decides which experiences are stressful and determines your behavioral and physiological responses. So like behavioral, like your emotional response and then physiologically how things change. So I'm going to give you a little bit of science, but I want to talk about the nervous system. The nervous system connects the body to the brain. It creates sensations, perceptions, feelings, thoughts, and actions. It puts you into action movement-wise. Like everything that you perceive in the world is from the nervous system. It controls our vital functions like heart rate, breathing, digestion, things you just don't even have to think about. But it also regulates our level of arousal, which is a delicate balance between alertness and calmness. So stress really exists on a continuum of extreme alertness, which would be like panic, all the way to extreme calm, which would be like being in a coma. Now, it's 
extreme states of panic or high levels of stress are not optimal for daily activities and well-being. However, they are good for things like running from a bear or if you're driving your car and somebody swerves into your lane and you have to react and pull over and your heart rate goes up, it biases us though towards impulsive action rather than nuanced thought and discernment. So you don't want to live your life over here in this highly stressed and alert state. On the other side, you have things like deep sleep, which restores our physical and mental well-being. It reinforces learning and something called neuroplasticity, which is Dr. Andrew Huberman says is the brain's ability to modify itself in response to experience. We're going to talk about that later, how actually you can tap into this ability to change your brain so you can learn a new habit, a new skill, change your behavior. The state that we want to exist in and to do your best work is a state of alert calmness. It's kind of like right in the middle where you're very dialed in, but you're in a calm state. That is where you're going to be the most creative and you're going to be able to do your best work. So how do we regulate our sense of calm and alertness? Well, funny thing is, is a lot of it happens through the sun. New neuroscience research is showing that our relationship to the sun and when we get exposed to the sun helps regulate different hormones. So every day we ascend and descend upon this continuum of alertness and calmness. When you wake up in the morning, there's a hormone called cortisol. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. People call it the stress hormone and it's high and that is good because it's what wakes you up. And as the day goes on, cortisol should fall. As the evening goes on, something called melatonin should rise and melatonin is a sleepy hormone. But this process of cortisol going down and melatonin going up is driven by the quality and the timing of our exposure to light. So viewing sunlight early in the day, specifically when it's low on the horizon, like a low solar angle, so like when it's coming up more specifically, wakes up this nervous system and helps with hormone regulations and sets you up for good control of calmness and alertness. So we're going to talk about something you can do here in a minute for that, but it also fills up. You ever heard of dopamine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like Instagram and all these things, they try to tap into these dopamine things. Oh, I get a like, I get this big hit. Well, Dopamine is not only a reward center, but it is a neuromodulator that helps us persist in the face of very difficult goals. So when dopamine is high, it actually helps you to keep pushing when something's hard, like you got a really hard project. Well, um, if dopamine gets low, your quitting mechanisms can increase. So it makes you gritty? It's your gritty thing? It can help with that. Yes. Yes. So like, our ability to consistently pursue something difficult, and I'm going to talk about this later, or I can just talk about it right now. <laughs> if you can learn to like internally reward yourself. So if you have two, I actually did a carousel on this. If you're doing two people are running a marathon and one person is like, I'm just going to think about the finish. I got 26.2 miles to go. I'm just thinking about that finish line. And then the other person is thinking like, I just got to make it to the next mile marker. And then mm. when they get there, they're like, oh, great job. You did a good job. You get a little dopamine hit, dopamine levels rise. When dopamine stays up, you can suppress these quitting mechanisms. Mm. But viewing the sunlight in the morning early actually raises dopamine levels. All right. So all you need is about two to 10 minutes of exposure in the morning. So like this morning, I means exposure. So uh, Jason asked, he's like, what if we're an indoor kid? So what really constitutes exposure? 
Yeah. So first of all, it's 50 times less effective looking through a window. Wow. So you need to go outside and literally just watch the sunrise for a little bit or within two hours of waking up, you need to go outside just for two minutes. You could, I think everybody can give me two minutes. Two to 10 minutes. minutes. Is that what you said? 10 minutes was the, Mm -hmm. there wasn't much difference if you stayed out longer. I mean, it helps a little bit, but like the minimum exposure is two minutes. Okay. What if it's raining? It's still, the sun is out. So if it's cloud cover, if you live in Seattle, like you just need to be out a little bit longer, but you still get what you need. Hmm. Obviously if it's raining, don't get sick and go outside. But like, you know, most days just stand on your porch. If you can see the sun or just, I have people go on walks or this morning I had to take my son to um, school. So on the way back, the sun was rising. I just rolled my window down and like just kept looking, just kind of wake myself up. Give it a shot. You'll definitely tell a difference. Now, view sunlight early in the day for two to 10 minutes when so, so like this is like the perfect solar angle. See how these, it's the, what it is, is these different wavelengths of blues mm. and oranges and yellows. That's what's actually in training these what's called circadian clocks. So your eyes are the brain on the outside of your head. The optic nerve is so big. It literally is your brain right here. It's not like anything else. And so what happens is when you take this, these wavelengths in, all of the circadian clocks and all the cells of our body get synchronized. It's pretty wild. So two to 10 minutes early in the morning. You need to avoid bright light though after 11 p.m., okay? So for all you late night, I got to do my work. That is the worst thing that you could ever do because now you're going to be draining these dopamine centers. It disrupts melatonin. So it's very difficult to go to sleep. It's just a bad idea. So people are like, oh, well, blue light. I don't want to go down that whole pathway, but uh, it's bright light, period. So it really doesn't matter. Um, and I recommend if you want a little more detail on that, I can send you in the right direction. The key thing is just past 11 PM, no more light. Like you've got to get it off. So you're better off waking up early, going to bed early, waking up, getting some sunlight and doing great work. Um, and you can resynchronize these things, mm. you know, some people are a little bit more like that, you know, these night owl, but if you can wind back the clock a little bit, that's really going to be helpful. All right. So what about in the moment, I've got like a really stressful situation. Breathing is something that you can do to help with stress in the moment. So when you inhale the diaphragm, which is this muscle moves down, which makes more space for the heart, blood flows slower. So the brain sends a signal for the heart to speed up actually. So if you want to be more alert, Longer inhales. So if somebody's ever told you when you're stressed out, just take a deep breath. That is the worst thing that you could ever do. It actually heightens your level of arousal. However, when you exhale, the diaphragm moves up, which creates less space for the heart. Blood flows a little bit faster. So the brain sends a signal to slow it down. So it's like putting on the brake. So if you want to do, if you're really stressed out, and you want to breathe and like calm yourself down and inhale maybe for two seconds, hold, long exhale. Do that three or four times and you'll start to feel things start to lower. If I actually put a heart rate monitor on people, you can literally see the heart rate begin to slow down 
It's like putting on the brakes. It, it regulates something called the parasympathetic nervous system, which we're not going to get into. That's class two. Yeah, class two. <laughs> the fastest way to de-stress um, is something called a physiological sigh. And it's a hardwired neural circuit. Uh, it's a mechanism for rapidly de-stressing. And it's a pattern that exists naturally in all humans and animals. Um, and what happens is, is it, you're, it happens in sleep or a claustrophobic environment or actually after sobbing. And here's what it is. It's two inhales followed by an exhale. And what happens is there's these little sacs in your lungs called alveoli. And there's millions of these things. And when you do this, you maximally offload carbon dioxide and you get this immediate sensation of relaxation. So it would be like this. If you do that three or four times, inhale through the nose. Exhale through your mouth. Exhale through your mouth, just a long exhale. Two inhales through your nose, followed by a long exhale. I'm just telling you, it, it is an, it, it, in the moment if you feel overly stressed. So if I go into a situation where um, I feel like I'm getting anxious, I do this like right before it happens and it just calms me right down. So what about mindfulness? You know, people talk about mindfulness right now, like great way to reduce stress. Well, the goal of mindfulness is really not to reduce stress. The goal of mindfulness is to control your attention. Remember that guy, Chris Hoy? His actual name is Sir Chris Hoy. He was knighted. Um, and the guy that said he felt like he was going to the gallows when he was competing for an Olympic competition. Mm-hmm. This is what he did. He said when he would feel this, like, I'm going to die sensation, he would grip the steering wheel on his bike he would feel his feet in the pedals in the clips. So what he was doing is he was taking control of his attention and shifting it to where he wanted it to be, when he wanted it to be there. Attention, as Dr. Peter Haberl says, is the currency of performance. Okay. Mm. It is like what mindfulness teaches us to do is to take control of our attention and to place it where we want it when we want it there. So you literally can aim your attention because your mind is a thought and emotion producing factory. And when you do mindfulness, it trains you like thoughts are going to come up, emotions are going to come up and you learn to acknowledge them and then to shift your attention where you want it as a byproduct. Yes, it does help with stress. But we all have this, I call it the inner monologue. You start chasing rabbits down a rabbit hole. And next thing you know, like, where did the last 20 minutes go? With mindfulness, you can train yourself to be alert to these situations and then go, you know what? I'm going to deal with that later. I'm going to shift my attention here. So the key is in like crucible situations or in a stressful situation is you must be open to unpleasant sensations And if you're open to it, then emotion won't get in the way of you performing. And mindfulness is a great way to train that. So there's apps out there like Insight Timer that's free. Headspace and Calm, they cost. um, If you own an Apple Watch, they actually have something called the Breathe app on there, which is essentially just mindful breathing. If you go out for longer durations, four or five minutes, and you just focus on the breath, you can get the same benefit. But Insight Timer is a really good one. 
Can I ask you a question about unpleasant situations or do you yeah. want to keep going and I can. No, you interject. Okay. So like, is it anything, anything that's unpleasant or it's just like, I'm nervous about this. Say you're presenting to investors or you're, mm-hmm. you're having to go in for like a, a test, like a MRI or something. And so it's going to be a unpleasant situation. If, especially if you don't like small spaces and you didn't get the non donut MRI machine or something. Right. So, so you just know, you, you tell yourself this is only going to last 30 minutes. I can just get minute by, I mean, what, what do you mean? Can you define like, or give me some yeah. examples or are those okay? Yeah, those are great. I mean, like, let's say you're going in for a client, uh, you're, you're doing an interview or somebody's interviewing for a prospective job and it's mm-hmm. a really big job and you're like, wow, this could be like a big deal. So you're like, you're starting to feel this like anxiety, these butterflies in your stomach. What you could do is if you trained your mind with mindfulness is that you, you go, okay, you, you're going to be able to recognize that I have these unpleasant sensations, but you're going to be able to go, okay, now I'm going to shift my attention to something that I can control, which is listening intently to what they're asking. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm doing a pitch, it's the words, the first two or three words that I'm supposed to be saying. And you can put your attention where you need it to be so that you can take action. Instead of being lost in your thought, you're not listening to what they're saying, and then you're unable to execute. Uh, if you have an, like, let's say you have a, you had a a fight with your significant other, but you've got this thing you have to do being able to go, okay, this is there. I'm not, I'm not suppressing it. I'm acknowledging that this is here, but I'm going to shift my attention deliberately to what I have to do right now. Do you remember that movie, the perfect game with Kevin Costner? Do you remember that movie? Oh yeah. It sounds familiar. Anyway, he's like, he's pitching. He's a football player nope he's a baseball player and he's a pitcher and he's older and this was like probably one of his last seasons or whatever and it's a whole love story with his the rest of the movie you know they have to have some romance and the clearing mechanism when everything goes away clear the mechanism and it's all Mm -hmm. this it's all those other inputs that are coming in all the Mm -hmm. people that are yelling and i think about like with covid and sports right now sometimes we're so heightened on everything if we're not played any sports, but uh, you know, like now it's like clear the mechanism. There is no really nobody's in the stadium, so it's he's able probably to pitch better. But like when we're in that interview situation, we might be picking up on other people's body language, and it might not be about us. And so we kind of have to just mm-hmm. focus on why we're here. Is that maybe an example? Yes. You would focus on the action that needs to be taken. Okay. So he could he cleared the mechanism or used his clearing mechanism so he could take he could throw the pitch. Yeah. The whole point of that, like even now, like you better believe that these athletes still experience stress because for most of them, what most people just coming from that world, what most people don't realize is most of the guys on that roster, like let's just take football for instance, every week is a job interview. Outside of like the top part of the roster, everybody else is tradable and they're getting traded every week. People don't know this. So there's a lot of stress and anxiety. But yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, a mom, that it's like, I got something to do, but I got my kids, you know, like me mm-hmm. right now, I'm at the house and I got my kids downstairs. And before I had to come up here, I'm like trying to get my son settled so he can have his lunch. I'm like, don't come in unless it's an emergency. <laughs> you know? like, but like, uh, yeah, but I could, I could be thinking about all that right now. But mm-hmm. instead I'm like here present, I have my notes, I have you, I'm paying attention to how 
how you're responding. So yeah, I could perceive this as stress. And it's okay to be a little, you know, Veronica, the, the Olympic champion I work with, she, she's like, if I don't feel a little anxious, something's wrong. And I know I'm not going to race well. So those feelings aren't bad. It's just where you place your attention. Joey asked about um, if you have any thoughts on the Wim Hof method. Do you know that? Yeah. I mean, I haven't read deeply into it, but it's a way of breathing to regulate autonomic control or to, it's basically love, uh, regulating your level of arousal. People get into cold water. A lot of these people you see right now, oh, they get right, really right. cold water. And what they're trying to do is, is they're um, using specific breathing techniques to resist and to persist in this very cold, unpleasant situation. Hmm. Um, and it's, it, you know, there's some really good stuff about that. You know, the Navy SEALs, use similar situations and training where they'll go into these, uh, it's like the mud flats where it's like cold and it's wet and it's muddy and they make them all get together and they're just, you know, chattering. And you could use these different breathing techniques to kind of decrease your level of arousal. One more question. So uh -huh. D asked why we aren't teaching this in grade school. And I was wondering if you teach your kids this. Yeah, that's a great question. Right. I mean, it depends on what's happening in their life. Um, hopefully, it, you know, my kids are nine, four and eight months old. So the four year old, five, five year old, nine, five, when the timing's right, I will, uh, you know, their perception of stress is not really the right. same thing. Right. So but like teenagers, like, like that would be a great thing oh. to teach in eighth grade or something, you know, as they're when they're going into a test or maybe fifth grade when you really start being worried about the outcome of these and you can psych yourself out of performing well. There's so many other life skills we should be teaching our kids outside of just math and reading and science. Like, I think we could talk a lot about entrepreneurship and like, you know, yeah, yeah you're exactly right. Your kids should know how to do this. And it's very easy to teach. And, you know, things like prayer have very similar uh, effects, but um, yeah. So I a hundred percent agree with that. I uh, wanted to throw exercise in here because it builds physical and psychological resilience. Um, people that exercise and push themselves hard also have, um, there's a little bit of spillover into just global uh, optimism and mental toughness. I will tell you this, that mental toughness is very task specific. Hmm. So you can't be tough to everything. Hmm. Uh, for instance, um, we'll just take our community here. Let's say we have people like, oh, Navy SEALs, they're real tough. They are at doing what they have to do. But let's say I took a Navy SEAL and I put them in a design class. And I said, you have 30 minutes to design X, Y, and Z and present to 200 people in this class. Do you think they're going to have a stress response? Probably. Absolutely. <laughs> if I take somebody that is a Navy SEAL that has never jumped out of an airplane before or an Army Ranger, and I take them up in an airplane, put a parachute on them, put them at the edge of a door and say, jump. What do you think they're going to do? Uh, Not freak want out. To jump. <laughs> yeah. So what they do is it's called stress inoculation. They take them to Fort Benning, Georgia, and they start with teaching them how to jump and land. And then they put them on this 10 foot thing and they jump into a foam pit. And then they do this and they jump and learn how to roll. And they slowly, slowly elevate the height, elevate the height, elevate. And over three or four weeks, they've been inoculated to the stress. Hmm. So just like the first time you ever probably took on a big project, you know, you, there was a stressful situation, but the next time and the next time and the next time you can handle more and more and more. Exercise helps with just global resilience. The ad adaptations from exercise also help you recover and relax later on.
going on. So for instance, you know, global just CDC recommendations, 150 minutes of exercise a week. You go walking five times a week for 30 minutes. Aerobic exercise in a heart rate range of 60 to 75% of your max heart rate. So if you want to know what your max heart rate is, take just guesstimate it, take 220 minus your age. So I'm 40, that's 180. And then 60 to 70% of your max heart rate, which would be 110 to roughly 140 for me, um, exercising in that heart rate actually helps with what's called autonomic tone. So later on, it actually in, like helps your heart rate slow down. There's more variability and can help you with relax. So there's actually some ways to use exercise to mitigate stress. Here's something that's really fun. And I mentioned it earlier, something called neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to mod modify itself in response to experience. Really interesting stuff has been happening in neuroscience. And what we've learned is, is that it used to be thought that, you know, I have a little child and up until about 25, their brains can just suck in so much information. They can learn like three languages with an accent, you know, like they just passively learn stuff, right? And, they, and for a long time, people thought, well, after this certain age, like it was very, very hard. But we found now that you can actually be as plastic as you were as a child. But the gateway to that is attention. And so if you want to change your brain, if you want to learn a new skill, if you want to change a behavior, you have to bring your focus to some perceptual event, like reading a difficult passage of text or designing something in the class, like learning something that you can see and put perception on. Um, and what happens is, is when you do that, there's a level of agitation. So Diane, when you teach your class, your students get agitated, like, this is hard, that's good. Because uh, there's a neurochemical release called uh, noradrenaline, which increases your level of arousal. But while you're studying and you're focusing, I mean, like bringing your focus to like a spotlight on a stage on something very, very specific, there's a, a neuromodulator, a neurochemical called uh, acetylcholine that's released. And it literally goes out and marks the cells in your brains, the neurons in your brain that are being used during that time. Like bookmarking? Like, like it's like bookmark a bookmark? It. Goes okay. out and goes. So the first thing you have to have is you have to have focus. When you're focused, then you have this increased level of adrenaline, noradrenaline, which makes you kind of anxious and you feel this. Ugh. And then acetylcholine is released and it marks those neurons so that when you sleep, your brain can change. And so it's this very weird dichotomous relationship of extreme focus followed by rest and relaxation. So it requires intense focus on a perceptual event. And then you need periods of sleep and non-sleep rest. So like if you're going to work really, really hard for like 90 minutes and then take 20 minutes and just do something that's don't look at a screen because guess what? You're bringing focus go on a walk, go fold laundry, mm -hmm. go do some, do something that's completely mindless. And then deep sleep is when this neuroplasticity occurs is when these, those neurons, those connections actually get strengthened. Mm -hmm. And the ones that aren't being tapped into as often gets weakened. It's very interesting or else your like brain. Like a muscle. Just, yes. Ish. Cause your brain, if you kept training, it would Ish. get, would explode. Right. Right. So yeah, you're exactly right though. It, but it takes two things. It takes intense focus and a period of, a, of 
relaxation and sleep. So if you are not getting, Mm. my research was on, we use very sophisticated technology with collegiate athletes in the SEC, which is the best conference in college football or any sport, track, basketball, you name it, Giga Maggies. Uh, And so actually I have three SEC degrees, A&M, Arkansas, (laughs) and Kentucky. So I I can claim basketball. I can go here when they're good. But anyways, um, I totally just lost my neuroplasticities. We can, you said uh, SEC best. We did these college. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's college athletes. And we were actually able to measure how much sleep they needed during the football season to adapt to stress and seven and a half to nine hours of chronic sleep. It's like two nights in a row is what they needed because we were measuring these brain waves. And we, when these certain waves are in a certain bandwidth, you can acquire skill faster. Whoa. Kind of like the you plug it in yeah and then you can just like do kung fu just put it in and you can do kung fu so here's the thing that most people overestimate how much sleep they get yeah by at least 20 to 30 minutes so if you're like i need seven and a half like most people are going to shoot for the low end that means you need to be in bed for at least eight mm. all right and so if you're trying to learn and you're trying to improve your skill don't cut yourself short on sleep so here's the key takeaway is like stress falls on a continuum. You know, everybody feels it. No one is immune to it. You can regulate your bodies with sun and with breathing. So the sun is more like a long-term thing. It sets up your nervous system, awakens it, and helps regulate these stress hormones. And with breathing in the moment, take your attention back with mindfulness and lean into self-imposed stress. Like that's what focus is. It's a stressful situation, but if you lean into it and you know how to use it, you can change your brain, do some cool stuff. Okay. So we have some more questions already. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so let me uh, stop sharing unless you're done. Yeah. I want to tell you guys one more thing. So Diane asked me to do this. Um, I have a company called aim seven and we are leveraging wearable technology like the Apple watch. And we're actually helping people improve things like how they handle stress, their sleep, their energy and weight loss. And um, if you have an Apple watch, we deliver custom recommendations based off of that. And then we have a world-class group of uh, experts from Dr. Peter Haverl, the senior sports psychologist for the US Olympics, who I mentioned earlier. Um, he's, he teaches mindfulness for us. We have experts in stress and adaptation and weight loss. And it's a pretty cool company. I took all my experience I was using in sports and I was like, there's all of this data that people have now, like on their wrists, like how much I sleep. So what if I slept seven hours? Like, what does that mean to me? Should I walk 10,000 steps or not? 10,000 steps, by the way, doesn't even exist. It's not in the scientific literature. It was a marketing campaign from the 1960s from a Japanese company that created a pedometer called the 10,000 steps meter. And that somehow got into our minds that 10,000 steps doesn't matter. The minimum depends, but like for just like all cause mortality, just to keep you from dying, you need to hit like 4,000 a day after 7,000. It doesn't seem to have make a difference, but how much exercise do I need? How do I, I'm really stressed out. What can I do? And we use all these biometrics and we deliver very simple solutions via text. So you don't have to go anywhere. Uh, into an app. So if you're interested in that, um, email us at ask at aim7.com. We just launched our MVP. And so we're slowly bringing people in 
it's a really cool situation. If you want to follow me uh, on Instagram at Eric Corum, uh, one word, I, I put have a lot of huh? in the chat too, and it'll be underneath all these links. Cool. So like if, if you want to hit me up on an email, if you need something, but I put a lot of, a lot of stuff on Instagram about these things and like carousel form and video and other things. So you can use that as a resource if you want. Okay. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Look, I filled up my sheet <laughs> and that's just the back. I was also doing stuff on the front. So I was like, it's not enough space. I needed the whole back. So, so Jason has a question and I, I don't know if I've ever told you, but I have ADHD as maybe mm -hmm. lots of other people are. Um, and for those of us who have ADHD, how do you recommend finding focus under stress to be able to process the information we're learning? Great question. First of all, I think one, like I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't want to speak outside of my expertise, but one pattern I've noticed with people with ADD or ADHD is they, they need more stimulation. Mm-hmm. Like if the, if they, if they were in a room like mine right now, that's completely white, like they probably go insane. Uh, and so like it, you need to provide yourself with an environment that's more stimulating, hmm. first of all. And uh, anybody that says you can't multitask is lying. Um, now your ability to really like, if you want to change your brain through plasticity, you want to bring your attention to one thing, but like, if you couldn't multitask, you couldn't drive and listen to a podcast at the same time. Right. Yeah. So it is possible, but the quality and level of your attention can degrade. I think that number one, getting restful and fulfilling sleep sets your brain up for being able to handle stress and being able to focus. Literature is very strong that it improves cognitive abilities, mood appropriate behaviors. You're a better teammate. You can better recognize somebody else's mood. So if you're cranky and your teammate, you're like the person you work with is like, man, this person's a jerk. Maybe just because you didn't get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. So that is like the first thing. And if you have a hard time, if you have bad sleep patterns, start with the sunlight exposure and start setting yourself up and do that. And so just make a habit out of you drink a cup of coffee in the morning, like make your coffee, walk outside. If you have to put a jacket on, so be it. And just go get yourself two minutes. It'll be amazing how I think you'll feel. Is it better, um, more body uh, exposure? It's your eyes. It's your eyes that need to be exposed. Okay. So not, well, I don't know why you said about the jacket. If it's freezing outside. That's so where I in, was like, do we need to be yeah. naked going outside? No, no, better? no. If it's like New York, I go put your jacket on and then be able to do that. Yeah. Okay. I got confused. I was like, wait a minute. I got it. Okay. Hmm. My, my eyes. So even um, if I was looking at, I need to look at it without my glasses or without sunglasses. Ooh, great point. Yeah. Just naked eyes. Don't stare at the sun and burn your eyeballs. <laughs> Just like look in the, you know, the expanse of the sky and like, just take it in, you know, and never look at the sun and hurt yourself, but you're just taking in bright light from the sun. It's the, there's a whole lot of science behind it. And if you're really interested, you can go look at Huberman's lab and get into that stuff. So Demi had a question much earlier. He had said, he said, um, 90% of my stress is causing my sleep to, to, not mm -hmm. me not to be able to sleep. So at mm -hmm. that stage, what, I mean, 
Um, are there things that will obviously if you know we're not having screens you said from did you say four no 11 to 4 a.m but so how many having, hours before you go to sleep great question so the couple things you want to look at is your sleep hygiene to start what does your room look like is it cold dark and quiet you need to sleep like a caveman hmm. so the room needs to be very cold 60 to 68 degrees that helps with melatonin dark no light at all. Not uh, even a nightlight? Not a nightlight, nothing. Turn your cell phone over. Any type of light disruption can pull you out of sleep or keep you out of deep sleep. Um, and then quiet. So if you live in a city and it's very noisy, you want a, a constant tone. So get a white noise maker like hmm. I have for my kid, like right next to my bed. I have one now. Um, the next thing is, is like having a wind down routine. So... You need to prepare yourself for bed. Start turning down the lights. Some like taking a hot shower, hot bath actually really helps some people. Maybe drinking some uh, chamomile tea, journaling. If you got a lot on your mind, that is a great way to just mind dump before you go to bed. Just journal it all out. Um, beginning to engage in practices like mindfulness will then allow you to. Um, like be able to, when you go to bed, be able to go, okay, I'm going to put this, this thought over here for right now. Um, but yeah, like all these things are multifactorial. So, but you got to start looking at, okay, what's my environment like? What's happening before I go to sleep? Where's my head? Am I in giving myself the opportunity to raise the, and lower these hormones the way that they need to raise and lower. And then, um, you know, then you also, you know, without going too deep down this rabbit hole, is what is the source of the stress? There are certain things that you can handle yourself. Sometimes needing a counselor for other things, but like if it's a financial thing, maybe there's a way to work through that. Meanwhile, you're creating a robustness or an ability to adapt and be more resilient along the way so that you can get restful sleep. I know there were other questions. So uh, Fabio asked, can, can you dismiss and abuse these tips if you're a rock solid sleeper? <laughs> uh, what do you mean by dismiss and abuse? Like if you're a rock solid sleeper, that's great. But that I might would... not be getting you to deep sleep and deep sleeps where that neuroplasticity happens. Yeah. I mean, if you feel when you wake up in the morning, if you like, feel like I am ready, like you are flying out of bed and you have amazing attention then maybe you're, everything's right. I would still try to get the, the sunlight exposure early in the day because what you think is great may not be your optimal. So it's like, even with an athlete that I work with that may be an NFL player, could they be an all pro? You know, the NFL is like the top 1%. Could you be a top 0.01%? What is your best? Have you even gotten close to it yet? Have you tapped into your ability to be an elite performer or whatever you do? Maybe not. So everybody can get better. That's where he said that's where he was headed. He, he was just feeding it to you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I love Fabio. Served it up. Yeah, that's right. Feed him those questions, Fabio. Did y'all talk before this? Um, uh -uh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so what made you want to bring this high performance to that the the people who are in, uh, who are not athletes? Why, what make, made you make that connection or? That's a great question. Started with my sister. She, um, was experiencing extreme exhaustion and fatigue and 
she had like rashes and this all was horrible. Like if I showed you a picture, you'd be like, Oh my gosh. And she reached out to me. She's like, Eric, I need help. And she was already seeing a nutritional practitioner and all these other things. And so I sent her this really sophisticated technology to see how she was adapting to stress. I was using with athletes at the time, come to find out she was waking up in the morning with a resting heart rate of over hundred beats a minute. And uh, I knew exactly the patterns I was seeing. So I was able to create these uh, therapeutic exercise programs to shift her from a state of stress to relaxation and like really help change her life. Um, and then I'm thinking, okay, I've solved this. I've helped solve this problem in sports, but like, there's got to be a lot of people like Carrie out there, my sister, who could use help. And then like with my expertise in wearable technology, I was like, the solution is like maybe sitting on their wrist. So I started doing research and I saw, found an article in Forbes magazine from a report of 150, 60,000 people where they said, essentially the number one complaint about wearable tech is the data was useless. Mm-hmm. Like, so what, like, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. And so I started doing my own surveys and I found that people said the same thing. The data just wasn't useful. Um, and then the next thing was like, I was like, what do people want? And so I uh, did a bunch of surveys myself and 120 something people. And the, it was that they wanted to improve their energy level. Yeah. It was the number one response. And so I ran a pilot with a friend at the University of Iowa and we were actually able to predict people's energy and mood states two days in advance using Apple Watch data. And so that's where AIM-7 came from. So it was kind of this, I've done this here. Does this problem exist there? Yes, it does. What do people want? And it just kind of walked me down the path. So in August, I left a 16-year career in in elite sport and quit on my birthday uh, to build this company. So yeah, I just, everybody should be able to be their best. And it shouldn't be um, only for those. With the democratization of technology, I want to flatten the playing field. Like everybody should have access to being their best self. And most of these products out there don't deliver on it. They just give you data. And I don't think it's right. I totally agree. And so um, you're the reason I bought the watch. So I was like, well, I don't have that. And you're like, well, at some point it'll be able to do connect with other technologies. Do you have anything else? And I was like, no, I have nothing. He's like, well, how's your sleep? And I'm like, hmm sleep? What is this thing you're talking about? (laughs) And it just so happens this week, I didn't really realize my sleep was so bad, but this week has been terrible. Uh, What happens to me is that I can go to bed, I can go to sleep, I could go to bed about nine. um, And then I fall asleep. And then about 1230, my bladder wakes me up because I have a tiny bladder. And, Mm. um, and then I wake up, and I think it's time to get up. Like in those four hours, I'm like, Oh, really? It's, you know, terrible math, I guess, because my three and a half hours, um, I'm ready to get up. So then I have sometimes my mind starts going and and I've tried breathing. I've tried the calm app. I've tried something else. But I know that when I pick up my phone, that's the absolute worst. And it's the worst for me because it gets me uh, going as well. It exposes um, you to light. Exp- exposes- so your body starts saying it's time to get up. Yeah. So So I've kind of avoided that. Um, but sometimes I'll just lay in the bed. Um, like yesterday I laid in the bed uh, this morning, I laid in the bed for an hour yesterday. I just got up, but I also have this cat problem. Anyway, that's a whole nother issue. Um, (laughs) but so when I get up, I don't want to step on a cat, you know, so I have a nightlight in the bathroom that I can see. I mean, it doesn't cast a lot of light, but maybe that's another issue. I need a lower light or something. 
but I, I'm, it's, it's that I still have pretty good energy for somebody who, but my sleep has been terrible. Like I got my Apple watch last week. I texted you. I'm like, I got it. And that did you enable sleep on your watch? I did. I I had to get an app, but I wasn't sure. Anyway, I figured I'd ask you today, but anyway, so I got this thing called auto sleep. And so it's, it's tracking and it was, um, I got one night where I had like almost five hours of deep sleep. And then the next two days, all I got was four hours of sleep. And it's all been like, I'm in like deep sleep deficit, terrible. Like, Well, offline, I'll have to, first of all, <laughs> we need to, If I'll just tell you right now, real quick. If you go to your uh, Apple phone, your iPhone, uh-huh. and then you see the Apple watch on there. Yes. Go in there. Scroll down to where it says sleep. Yes. And then turn on automatically. Like turn it all on. It's alphabetical. Sleep. Turn on automatically. Okay. What does that do? Now it'll start tracking sleep on your watch. But it Apple's was tracking really sleep on my watch through that other app. I guess I right, didn't need to buy that. Apple and their health kit is now tracking it. Oh, so cool. when we get you into AIM 7, I'll be able to get all that data. Okay. And then you're able to tell me. So we talked about when we first talked, I think the first time we met, you were like, oh, well, you you have different patterns. And I know that I have different patterns. This pattern at this time of day is usually like, I'd like to take a nap. So because I can't take a should. nap. Well, I, I can't take a nap when I'm at school. Why not? 15 minutes. Mm, I don't want to take Lay a nap. Lay on the floor. <laughs> Listen, I have. Stop, we need to stop the nap hating. No, I and know. I believe in naps normally. Um, but just go bring a ratty pillow and uh, Jason, I like you even more. Um, 15 to 20 minute nap improves cognitive performance, improves every, I mean, look, that's a circadian dip. That is yeah. when you are naturally supposed to feel that way. That's why in the rest of the world, they have what's called a siesta. Right. So why don't we get a little more multicultural and take a 15 minute nap? Okay. So, but that's not really a nap for me. I mean, I can't really sleep in that amount of time. You don't have to sleep. Okay. Yes. Just close your eyes and relax. Okay. That's another one I have a trouble with that R word, but so normally I do something like this. So it gets my energy because I'm with other people and that engages me. But I, I mean, I do take naps. My friend Dustin, he takes like a hour and a half nap every day. And he's like, it's like you get two mornings. It's great. So it's good to know. I'll make sure that he knows that this is a really good thing. But so, so in that tracker on my phone now, and that's through my watch, will it know when I'm going to sleep? I, it'll uh-huh. just, I don't have yeah, to say, that. Hey, I'm going to sleep. Nope. Huh? It's through actigraphy data. That's a whole nother conversation for another day. So Paul says is midday meditation work the same just to calm the mind. Yeah. And a lot of, there's something actually called yoga nidra. Uh, I haven't, done a lot of research on it myself, but they're finding some very promising things where it can like mimic some of the activities of sleep. You can go to YouTube and like find these yoga nidra scripts and they're studying these in neuroscience labs where it helps. But yeah, it's like, it's not complete relaxation because you are focusing on something, but for some people it does give them a sense of like, oh man, I wake up and I feel really good after I'm doing that. So Mark has a question that I asked you also, and I know we're mm-hmm. out of time. So I want to ask this last question. Uh, Mark said, um, if I sleep with my Apple watch, there's no way I can wear it the next day without charging it. And you know what Eric told me? 
that w- and now Mark walks around and does a lot of things. But at some point, maybe when you're driving or something, he said this when you're at your desk and you know you're going to be at your desk for it only needs an hour, I think, to charge. That that's when you put your thing because you're not going to be moving anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I have my charger on my desk, and that's what we tell folks to do. Is like when you're the, the least active, take it off first thing in the morning. I go, you know, after whatever I go to work, take it off, put it on when it's charged, put it back on, and then I can wear it the rest of the day. Hmm. I set an alarm to do it at eleven because I either am in class or I'm about to have a call. So I pretty much have that eleven to twelve hour. Um, taken up. So I thought that was really good. Well, we didn't have time to answer all the rest. I guess we'll have to have uh, Eric on for Eric 102 sleep. And uh, so, but it's just really interesting. I do really think that breathing techniques that as stress techniques, I think it's good to know that even these amazing athletes have this stressful situation that they might be nervous that it makes us feel more human. But again, that's why I think we don't think that they're stress at all they're like they love this stuff but they might also be just like we are and uh, there's performance stress there's everything that we are doing they are thinking also i always think it's mm-hmm. nice because then we're not siloed so maybe exactly. they don't have it all together either so what's next for you so aim seven is focus and what what how to how do people besides just emailing you at ask at aim7.com or how else? Cause they, I think you have an email newsletter. They can also follow you on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. And then if you go to my link there, I have a newsletter we send out and it's every week, high performance tips, uh, a blog link. We have a, po- have a podcast that I bring on elite performers in all different types of fields uh, whether military or music or sports, some fascinating folks and we give you high performance tips every week. So if you go to ericquorum.com, there's a link there. You can sign up for the newsletter. We'd love to have you. Um, and then I, I, I just fill my LinkedIn and, um, and Instagram accounts with all these um, uh, you know, great learnings on, on high performance because everybody can be a great performer in whatever you're doing. And so that's my goal. My mission is to help people do that. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much. I just want to make sure that everybody knows where they can go. Um, so if they're listening, you can go to AIM and then the digit, the number seven dot com. And then you can also dot com. And then on Instagram, it's just Eric Corum. Just that's, that's it. it. Right. So anyway, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Your deck was great. Good job. <laughs> um, and we ha- I have lots more questions that we didn't get to. So hopefully we'll be able to have you back. Bring on. me back. I'd love to I, be on. I, I will for sure. And next month, just so you guys know, this month was all mental health. And this is just me doing this. Um, next month is Love on Designers. And so we are going to take something every week. And I actually do a, um, what do you call that? Where people give stuff away? A drawing? Giveaway? Maybe it's a giveaway, a giveaway. And there's like, you'll tag somebody. So one week you encourage somebody else. One week you lift up somebody who's encouraged you. One week you recharge yourself. 
And I can't, oh, one's about energy. What I think that's the first week is about energy. So I hope that you guys will join me in love on designers and loving on other creatives during this next month. There's one week you get to focus on you, loving on you. So I can't wait to see what that is. And next week we will have a part two with Will Hardaway, who we're talking about some of the things that have, uh, have caused people not to feel connected. So again, I love that we're going to, have some other tips of how we can make sure we're connecting across all kinds of, of diversity and inclusion uh, talk as well. So we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>